Hi, and welcome to episode 77 of Walk to Work. So today I want to talk about the um, kinds of statement that take the form uh, X is a racist or X is sexist. Um, before I do that, quick reminder, Jess and I are restarting our online classes on Thursday, January 16th. That's in two weeks. Um... If you want to take part in any of them, try them out. Uh, just just us a message. Uh, I think it's 15 minutes before we start, so that's 7 p.m. UK time, uh, 8 p.m. Uh, Central European or European time. And um, and yeah, we'll send you the, the, the Zoom link. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, as a reminder, these are kind of the same as your regular weekly classes, except we meet online, which means anyone from anywhere can join us. Uh, and we think the material's pretty good, uh, so we'd love to see you there. Uh, so, yeah, that sentence, X is a racist. Um, generally, from there, we get to, because they inherently are a racist, sexist, homophobe, uh, whatever the, the, the term is, then there's pretty much nothing to be done about them. Um... And we can try to educate them, but because they fundamentally are racist, sexist, etc., uh, they probably won't listen. Um, and so it's a waste of energy and time. And so we should just ignore them and move on with our lives. Um, or outright shun them or ban them. Um, and I have less of an issue with this than most people, but I do still have a slight issue. So I'll start with a bit of context. So some of the, one of the things I've been watching a video recently uh, about uh, the idea of cancel culture. So this thing that a person says something bad or does something bad um, and everyone is like, oh, this person has a public platform where they, um, but uh, they're bad, so we should take away their public platform. Um, and some of this probably has positive effects. Like if people are saying bad things and consistently saying bad things, um, giving them less of an opportunity to say or do bad things uh, is probably a good thing. Um, but there, there, there are a couple problems with it that I want to, to, to get to. Uh, another is just the idea, so this cancel culture, uh, calling it cancel culture, uh, the video actually happens to be quite good, but I haven't watched it all the way through yet. Uh, so, a uh, topic for another day, but or maybe not, because uh, I would still prefer to talk more about dance and less about other stuff. Um, but in general, just the idea that it's called cancel culture, uh, and before it was called what outrage culture, and before that it's called what... Um, it falls kind of in a family of uh, political correctness and social justice warriors, which is uh, trying to cycle through names to uh, deride uh, the trendy politics uh, as ridiculous and therefore stopping them, nipping them in the bud before they start. And so everyone thinks, oh, cancel culture is ridiculous. Therefore, anything that looks like cancel culture is ridiculous. Political correctness, eh, it's okay, but not in excess. Therefore, anything that looks like excessive political correctness is ridiculous. And that kind of goes on and on. Um, 
And so if you have a term like cancel culture, it's a pretty good sign that someone came up with it who is trying to persuade you um, of something that you don't actually believe. They're trying to trick you into thinking all the things represented or even vaguely associated with cancel culture are bad, just like they try to make you think that everything uh, vaguely associated with political correctness is inherently bad. Which, of course, it isn't. Um, and ironically, is exactly the same thing that cancel culture is being accused of doing in the first place. Uh, so the other context for this, recently J.K. Rowling uh, said uh, some pretty transphobic things on Twitter. Um, and everyone is up in arms about that. And quite rightly. like um, She has a big voice, a lot of followers. She's used that to do a lot of, I would view them as positive things. Um, and now she's using them to do uh, something that I would view as, as negative. And so uh, it's something to be careful about. It's something to, and it's something that a lot of people on the internet seem to agree with her. Um, there's a, a lot of internalized transphobia that people have, have I assume, because they don't know any trans people. Like, I don't know how people are so amazingly mean uh, uh, about it. But anyways, um, and I guess the third link to this is that I have um, uh, my uh, rider as a teacher uh, is that I won't work with certain people. Um, I won't, and as, an, uh, as a dancer, I won't attend organize, uh, events that are organized uh, by certain people or that uh, uh, that are taught at by uh, certain people. And that's a pretty strong, uh, and I will actually go out of my way to suggest other people don't attend certain events because they're organized by certain people. And that's a pretty strong position to take. Um, and so I want to kind of be careful that my reasons and motivations uh, around that uh, are sound. Uh, so the first issue I say have with saying A is racist is that typically A is racist um, it is a way to be like A is bad, therefore we should have nothing more to do with A. Um, and there's situations where we should have nothing more to do with people. The people that I won't work with, um, I'm willing to have something to do with them if they're willing to meet me halfway. And I mean, uh, the people I won't work with are pretty famous people, mostly um, a few less famous people. And the apologizing they would have to do to meet me halfway um, is pretty big. And they haven't done it so far. So why would they go out of their way to do it for me? There's not really any good reason. Um, so I'm not really expecting it to happen. So I'm not really uh, expecting it to happen, and um, I got lost. People were talking on bikes and dinged at me. Um, yes, not really expecting uh, them to change their tune, and so there is embedded in there an expectation based on past behavior that they are not likely to improve that behavior just based on the fact they haven't done so so far. Um, and so 
I am willing to change my view on them if they change their behavior, but I don't expect them to. So it's kind of fair to say that I don't really expect to have to change my opinion about them. Um, but I promise I'm willing to. <laughs> um, so saying X is a racist uh, tends to be uh, a step towards um, not having anything more to do with X. Um, then the issue with saying X is racist, or X is sexist, or X is homophobic, ableist, transphobic, uh, classist, uh, whichever you would like uh, to, to say, um, is that those statements don't really make sense. Because uh, the way that those ists and phobias come about is related to society, to what society considers normal. So either normal is being um, able, so abnormal is uh, disabled. And from there, um, it means that society, the default of society is constructed to make life easy for able people and it makes life dis uh, di uh, more, difficult to, more difficult for disabled people. So properly, they're not dis inherently disabled. They're disabled by the way that society is organized. Uh, typical case of this is steps versus ramps. The, ste it's the steps themselves that make uh, places difficult to access, not uh, the disability uh, or not the fact that someone uh, uses a wheelchair. Um, Other situations are kind of incumbent. So there's incumbent power in masculinity and patriarchy. And so they set up systems uh, whereby life is more difficult for women, mostly because no one has ever considered, hey, I wonder if life is different for women. Uh, so that's where you have um, even a lot of uh, medical uh, ideas were tested uh, on men and first applied to men. And so we don't actually check that they apply to women. Um, uh, and so there's a bunch of places where uh, the social structure has set up masculinity as being the norm. And so even without bad intent from society, it is the normalness of things that brings us to uh, oppression. Uh, and that is then fueled by two things. One is that from that normalness, people who grew up in that normalness learn to expect certain things as being normal and certain things as being abnormal. And in that way, they internalize uh, the oppressions that exist in society. And people have an inherent dislike of things that are different, uh, which takes a lot of personal work to overcome. And some people are not fully taught to overcome that or believe they have overcome that and the work is no longer needed. And so that adds fuel uh, to uh, the oppression. But it's just adding fuel to continue an oppression that's already there without even uh, the bad intent or the dislike or the phobia. Um, and that's kind of important. I think because it tells us that everyone who exists in a sexist or racist society is sexist or racist. Uh, and that's how they grow up. That's how uh, they live. Uh, like my going to work to a well-paying job every day 
uh, is part of a capitalist society. Um, there are very few women where I work, so it's part of a sexist society. There are very few people of color where I work, it's definitely part of a racist society. Uh, and so my whole economic existence um, is predicated upon a racist uh, and sexist and probably to an extent ableist uh, society. Um, and so that means that the statement of whether I personally am uh, sexist or racist has really relatively little meaning um, in both directions, much as a statement that I'm not personally uh, sexist or racist. Uh, so what I mean by both directions is that there are some things that I do that are sexist, that are part of my day-to-day -day life that I'm not going to stop, and that I wouldn't really expect to be called out as being sexist for, so like my job. Uh, I plan to continue to earn money uh, in an industry that's inherently sexist, and that's not something I plan to actually change. Um, does that inherently make me a sexist person? Well, yes and no. And then other things that I do are perfectly fine, but as soon as I interact with a woman, um, there is an inherent sexism that operates. I inherently have more power um, to leverage into my interpersonal conflicts with women um, in the same way that I have more power to leverage uh, in my interpersonal conflicts with black people. Uh, I have more economic power, I have power that I can draw upon other powerful people who are within my network. Um, I have power that the justice system will believe me better. I have power uh, that uh, the educational system uh, favors me. Uh, so many things um, that I can't actually divest myself of and that I can actually wield and weaponize as soon as I have any conflict with anyone. Um, and that's in inherently there with no ill intent on my part whatsoever. Like the other person could have the ill intent, um, but it would still be me who is leveraging uh, an unfair advantage. Um, and so that it would be hard. People wouldn't necessarily call me sexist for it, but it would still very much be me being sexist. Uh, or maybe actually I am the bad guy, but not the sexist bad guy, just the bad guy in that, I'm the wrong person who's in the wrong in our interpersonal conflict, but nevertheless, I can leverage uh, my gender and um, uh, race and ableness, uh, etc., in order to come out looking like the good guy, although I'm interpersonally wrong. Um, and that could deserve the label of sexist, but tends not to get that label, uh, especially if it's not obvious in what way uh, I weaponize my gender uh, in order to come out on top in the conflict. And then same thing, to say for me to say I'm not sexist, uh, like how would I prove that? How would I show that? To say that I have no sexist intent, but that doesn't make any sense because I benefit from it. Um, uh, and same thing, I could do something that on the face of it is sexist uh, and looks uh, sexist, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be particularly sexist because it's actually just me uh, living my life. So, uh, point is we are all inherently 
um, sexist because we grew up in sexist society, just like we're all inherently racist because we grew up in racist society. Uh, our existence um, with no ill intent whatsoever, with the best of intentions by default, uh, contributes to the very least the status quo uh, of um, uh, oppression in society. So uh, there's an extent to which saying, oh, such and such is a racist, uh, we should deplatform them, we should shut them down. It's not really, doesn't make sense because such and such is racist, is not new information, we all are. And so what is the difference between being sexist in my day-to-day -day life or even being kind of, say, neutrally sexist in my day-to-day -day life and then trying to be anti-sexist uh, in my podcasting, uh, blues dance teaching part of it to the extent that I'm able. Um, how much uh, kind of work against my internal sexism would I have to do to come out on the side of Greg is not sexist? Um, like, would it have to be 90% of the time? Would it have to be 95% of the time? Would it have to be 10% of the time? Like, the, the, it, if push comes to shove, you can take pretty much anyone who has an axis of privilege and call them out for that axis of privilege. Uh, and obviously that's not something that we're interested in doing. So that's the question is, what are we interested in doing? And I'm not entirely sure. So if you have some kind of clarity around this, I would love to hear about it. Uh, some things I kind of know to be true or feel to be true uh, is um, essentializing people is not very useful. Saying that someone is um, because someone has some kind of behavior, uh, like saying uh, someone is sexist. Um, uh, that someone has a sexist behavior, uh, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, transforming that to that person is a sexist person uh, kind of takes away, um, reduces them to this one time they were sexist and uh, removes any possibility of change or redemption or of making a mistake. And if we start off kind of being 100% sexist, uh, involuntarily, and maybe then voluntarily sexist sometimes and involuntarily sexist other times, the path to becoming not sexist is a pretty delicate one because you'd have to like completely change your behavior from completely over to the other side. And uh, change, assuming we want change, that's going to take time, even if that time is two or three days or two or three months or two or three years, during which time people can try to be less sexist. And even still, they'll still exist within sexist society. So I don't know how, at what point, anyone who is accused of being sexist gets to stop being sexist. Um, but, 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 that doesn't mean that people should be able to have sexist behaviors and get away with them. Like, if someone's behavior is clearly sexist, you're like, hey, that behavior is sexist, stop doing that thing. And then if that person is like, I mean, probably that person will be then like, oh, no, I don't have a sexist bone in my body. That clearly, this behavior clearly isn't sexist because otherwise uh, I would be sexist and I'm clearly not sexist. Therefore, my behavior can't be sexist. Once we get stuck in that loop, then uh, we have kind of a loop that we're stuck in. And it becomes, in my opinion and experience, kind of fair to say, oh, this is going to be a really difficult loop to get out of. And if that sexism is harming people, 
then those people who are getting harmed should get out of harm's way. And if that behavior is harming people, then those people who give other people opportunities to harm, for example, by hiring them at events, should probably get out or stop hiring them at events so as to reduce their opportunities to cause harm. Um, and that's a rough one because the inherent reaction you're going to have to something that looks like, hey, you're a bad person, is to say, no, no, not me, I'm not a bad person, therefore I don't do bad things. And it's like, okay, good people can do bad things. And what's more, good people have to recognize the bad things that they do, um, apologize for them, and stop doing them. Uh, and that, I think, is probably uh, my uh, point for that. Uh, and the associated point is that all good people recognize in their friends and acquaintances and the people they hire and the people they work for the places where they're doing bad things. Uh, or less non-pro-social things, things that don't benefit everybody, or things that negatively impact oppressed people more than they negatively impact other people, or negatively impact marginalized people more than they negatively impact non-marginalized people. And we say, oh, hey, we don't believe in that, we don't want to do that here, don't do that. And most of us have codes of conduct, uh, for example, in dance communities, that tell us, hey, you can't actually do that. Uh, it says in our code of conduct, uh, don't do racist things. Uh, or don't say racist things. I can't remember what our specific code of conduct says. Um, uh, another thing that's worth questioning is the role that privileged people uh, can play. Um, and I have to hope they have a role because I'm privileged on all axes. So there's no kind of liberation work that I can do that isn't from a privileged position. Um, and that's also one of the reasons that I make uh, this commentary that you can find online pretty adequately, is that that argument is rarely made from a privileged position to other privileged people, um, because we're still very big on even convincing privileged people that they need to play a role. And so once now that we're convinced, hey, yes, we have a role to play, although some people think we don't, and that's also something to be listened to, uh, or looked to. By playing a role, we're recentering ourselves. So it's a question: How can privileged people play a role that decenters them um, and that makes a useful difference? And that's something I'm interested in. That's why uh, I'm making this podcast episode uh, because I think that the resources of exactly how to do that and having the nuance is quite challenging. Um, and that speaking of nuance, that's kind of my closing part for today, I see a lot of places with babies thrown out with bathwater. So because saying X is a racist clearly does not lead to change because it just kind of shuts people down and draws up barriers on either side uh, and uh, polarizes everything and makes people just believe more strongly in their convictions. We think, okay, Throwing, saying X is a racist is not a good thing. And even Greg on his podcast says saying X is a racist isn't a good thing. Therefore, clearly, we should not call out racist behavior because it's not a good thing. And that's not what I said. We should call out racist behavior. And sure, we can even label people racist. I just don't think it's going to be particularly productive. Uh, but we should be really careful what we mean when we say X is racist. Therefore, we should have nothing to do with them. Um, 
And when I say that as a person who's not racially, racially marginalized, um, it has to have a different value than when someone who is racially marginalized says that. Because someone who suffers, who gets um, hurt by racism, well, of course, if someone is consistently racist, they should have nothing to do with them. There's no reason to put themselves in harm's way. Uh, but I don't actually get consistently hurt by racism. Uh, therefore, it should be my role to have something to do with racist people uh, and try to get them uh, to the best of my ability to be less racist, I think, slash hope. Um, and that fits more generally into whenever we say that everything is nuanced, the reaction that some people have is, oh, the truth must lie somewhere in the middle. We should be softer in our positions. And it's not that we should be softer. It's not if there's a 0%, 100% line or a left-right line that we should be smack-bang center. Instead, I think we should be more surgically left and right. So we should be all the way to the left, if that's what we believe, which I kind of do, and be extremely precise in that. And so saying, oh, this extreme black and white, every people are good or bad, uh, dualism is bad, um, which is kind of ironic uh, that anyone would make a claim that dualism is bad. Um, the response to that is not to say, oh, every time we see dualism, uh, clearly that's a bad thing. Uh, so by dualism, in this case, I mean every time we see the world uh, distinguished as right and wrong. But... Um, we should be interested in the middle bits because the things that are clearly wrong are clearly wrong and things that are clearly right are clearly right. So everything else is a gray area that we have to precisely figure out, oh, what's going on? Which parts of this are okay and which parts of this are not okay? Uh, and then we can separate them out. Uh, and sometimes it will be personal disagreement uh, and other times it will be, oh, we didn't, Inside this good thing, there was a bad thing that was hidden, and inside the bad thing that was hidden, inside the good thing, there was a good thing. And so we thought it was good, but we didn't recognize the bad because of all the good that was embedded and surrounding it. And so we need to kind of surgically consider those things in a precise and nuanced way and figure them out. And I'm not sure that that's my goal for 2020, because I'm not sure how much emotional uh, energy I have for all this stuff. Um, but it's definitely something I'm not going to be giving up. Uh, hopefully a little bit less on the podcast, but we'll see. Um, I feel very confused about all this. Uh, so if any of you has some clarity to offer that you feel I haven't considered, uh, I would love some of that. Uh, let me know. I will see you next week. Until then, take care.